Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. So my son has this book. He loves it. A lot of you may be familiar with it. It's about an old lady who swallows a bat. The bat is not all that she swallows over the course of this book. This voracious old lady also swallows a ghost. There's an owl. I think some bones. And some other stuff. The reason I've been thinking about this is because this is the week that coronavirus ate the presidential election and politics and every other story that's out there. Everything. And what I mean by that is it's been a big story, big public health crisis for a number of weeks now. But this was the week that it became the only story and every other story became one that is in some way about coronavirus. And that's especially true for politics and the White House and the 2020 presidential campaign. My fellow Americans, tonight I want to speak with you about our nation's unprecedented response to the coronavirus outbreak. And on this week's Nerdcast, that's what we're talking about. I'm your host, Scott Bland. So coming up first, we're going to dive into the major national address that President Donald Trump gave on Wednesday. And here to break it down for us. Hey, Scott, how are you? We have Politico editorial director Blake Hounshell. And now, Blake, can you take me – you were among the reporters and editors who were planning around the – you know, planning the coverage of this speech and then reacting to this in real time and, and also like witnessing the, the attempted rollback of what Trump had just said to millions of people on TV. Can you just take us inside the timeline of that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is like you're you're trying to assess just the basic facts, and and you're you're not used to, you know, presidents sitting down in the Oval Office with a teleprompter and getting basic facts about the policy wrong. So just trying to figure out factually what had the president just announced, that was the first challenge. The second thing is, you know, we're always trying to assess like. The, the impact on the country. And, and while it's, it's very hard to do an instant assessment about how something like an Oval Office address played with Americans, um, there were a few signals that he hadn't really addressed the problem. The futures markets tanked immediately after he spoke. And then you had all this scramble at the airports uh, in Europe. So it was pretty clear... Um, within not too long after the speech that, you know, he didn't quite pitch this right. And then about a half an hour after the speech ended, the NBA announced that it was shutting and suspending the season. Hmm. Tom Hanks tweets that he's got the coronavirus uh, along with his wife in Australia. So you had these massive public signals that, no, everything is not all right. This thing is getting out of control. Uh, and that sent another clue, I think, to the public that this is not going well. In the midst of of this, and I think it's impossible to separate Trump's decision to give the speech in the first place from this, you've got the, the 2020 election in, in full swing. 
And uh, before this had even happened, Joe Biden, who is now the favorite to be the Democratic nominee, had said that he was going to uh, address the nation in his own speech on Thursday uh, from from Delaware about what his response to the coronavirus would be, his prescription for it. And uh, coronavirus outbreak has affected the campaign in a lot of different ways. So far, we've seen uh, events canceled, fundraisers canceled, all sort, basically every sort of thing that kind of brings people together is starting to get pushed off the books, postponed, canceled, whatever. And in its place, you have kind of Biden trying to stand up, you know, behind a row of American flags and look like look like a president. Yeah. And look, aides were saying privately that's what his intention was. That you're going to expect a presidential style address, not a political address. But obviously, he's running for president. There are political motives here. And I think if I had to guess at what was going through the Biden campaign's mind, I think they're probably remembering the 2008 campaign when you had this financial meltdown happening. George W. Bush was the president. John McCain was running to replace him. You know, the public was worried. John McCain did not look like he really had a handle on the problem. He's not really an economics guy. And that was a moment where Obama stepped up, sounded sober, sounded like a safe pair of hands, Joe Biden at his side. This is what Biden was trying to do, to, and, and it plays into his entire narrative, which is, I am a safe pair of hands. I've been in the chair before. I was vice president for eight years. You can trust me to run the country. Let's just get back to normal presidency and do things the way we were doing them for eight years. Obviously, on, on Sunday, we're looking forward to the first one-on-one debate between uh, Bernie Sanders and, and Joe Biden, which on Thursday was moved from – well, first they, they said there was going to be no studio audience in Phoenix and then uh, on Thursday it was moved from Phoenix to a TV studio in Washington, D.C. to basically cut down on travel. Um, but, you know, it, it's it, it's not just the uh, potential general election that all this uh, affects, right? It's probably going to be the main story coming uh, into and out of uh, that debate. Yeah. I mean coronavirus has just become this all-consuming – Story Like every aspect of American life is being affected right now from campaign rallies. Broadway just shut down. Professional sports leagues are shutting down. This is really starting to affect Americans' daily lives. And it it's almost seems like, you know, going to a political rally, even if it were allowed, would be an afterthought. People were scrambling to buy, you know, dry foods right. and spaghetti and toilet paper. Um, so it's almost like the, the 2020 campaign has become a sideshow, even though it's this really fundamental question about who is best suited to, you know, get the country through this crisis. That's a great point. Well, Blake, I'll leave it here and let you run back and, and figure out what we missed while, when we popped in here for the last 10 minutes. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time. Anytime, Scott. All right. For our second segment this week, we're going to dive a little bit more into the politics of 2020. As Joe Biden has emerged as the frontrunner for the Democratic presidential nomination, we're getting a really good sense now with all these primaries and caucuses that have already happened of his strengths and weaknesses among voters. And joining us to talk all about it is Eugene Daniels, Politico reporter. <gasps> Eugene? Hey! Oh my goodness, this is wonderful. So where, where am I speaking to you from? Uh, we've got you on the line today. 
I'm hunkered down in my one-bedroom apartment um, because of coronavirus. Yeah, social distancing. Yes, exactly, social distancing. No, you're setting a good example. Yes. So the the reason I've gathered you <laughs> here here today virtually <laughs> is we want to talk about what Joe Biden has demonstrated on the campaign trail so far, his strengths and weaknesses. You know, we've been through, oh, what, 24 states at this point? Mm-hmm, uh, j- mm-hmm. Just about half of the primaries. We've got a lot of exit poll data, a lot of election returns to sort through. So based on all that, where has Biden been strong and where has Biden been weak as he's risen through the primary to become the front runner? Right, right. The thing that's really interesting is that Joe Biden had a theory of the case, his campaign had a theory of the case, that if he could just get to South Carolina, if he could just get to Black voters, he'd be fine. And that has proven to be very, very true. So his biggest strength is with Black voters. He's just demolishing Bernie Sanders with Black voters, especially in the South. Um, but he's also winning older voters. He's winning suburban voters, white people with col- that, are, that are college educated and have college degrees. But he's also doing really well with white people who don't have college degrees. And that's a place that Bernie Sanders has really um, spent a lot of time winning. Like, like in 2016, that was a part of his strength is that he could get these people that were kind of in the Midwest that were um, non-college educated white people. And and Joe Biden has proven that, um, unlike Hillary Clinton, he has a strength with them as well. But he's not doing well with, you know, young people. Joe Biden is, mm-hmm. which is something that we all kind of know. But something that we really know is that it's not just young people, as in like eighteen to twenty-nine year olds. It's people that are under forty. So that includes me. I am now a young person, thanks to, <laughs> to the exit polls. <laughs> <laughs> but that is something that we're seeing is that Joe Biden is much more likely to find someone who's much older that really likes him than he is to find someone that's a little younger. The reason why I think it's interesting that Biden, who, as we've spoken about a number of times over the past few weeks, he's he's now winning the primary pretty pretty decisively. You know, he's he's gotten about half of the available delegates so far, and that's in a multi-way race up until last week. And so he's really on track at this point over Sanders. But the the reason I think it's interesting that he's not doing well with young voters is that that's typically a strength of the Democratic Party. And the past few presidential elections, we've seen candidates' weaknesses in their primaries kind of foreshadow general election weaknesses. You know, Mitt Romney had trouble connecting with working class white voters in the 2012 Republican primary. It cost him in that election. Hillary Clinton had also had weakness among non-college whites in the Democratic primary in 2016. Definitely came back to haunt her in November 2016. And so looking at that history and seeing that Biden is not doing well with young voters, it raises an interesting question, right? Yeah. Is this something that's going to be a problem for him in November. And it seems like Bernie Sanders thinks the answer might be yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And because um, all of what you see in the primary is like this coalition building, right? It's like, who am I exciting? Who am I as a presidential candidate promising things that they're going to come out in November for me? Because what we start to see is that there's a huge coalescing with most of mostly Democrats are just like, yeah, vote for the person who is at the top of the ticket. But there are groups that you really need to get excited. And and for Joe Biden right now, it's black people leading that charge. And when it comes to Bernie Sanders, he we, we didn't hear from him after Tuesday, after the results came in. But then we found out that he was going to have a speech on Wednesday. And there was all these rumors about like exactly what was going to happen. Was he going to drop out? Because it was looking really badly for him. Last night, obviously, was not 
a good night for our campaign. And so he he came in front of cameras, one, stated that he was not getting out of the race and that he was really excited to continue in debate. I very much look forward to the debate in Arizona with my friend Joe Biden. Eugene, what Sanders did next after this I thought was really interesting. He basically challenged Biden to try and take these voters from him, essentially. And let me be very frank as to the questions that I will be asking Joe. Joe, what are you going to do to end the absurdity of the United States? Right, yeah, it, it, and, and it's, it's a challenge that it doesn't really seem that the Biden campaign and Joe Biden as a candidate um, are really poised to do. But what it shows is that Bernie Sanders still feels like, and, and probably does, have a lot of power in this Democratic primary, despite the fact that he's not doing really well, right? Voters don't always follow the, the dictates of their, of the person that they're, they, they wanted to win. Like if Bernie Sanders said to young people, go vote for Joe Biden, not all of them would listen. But he does know that he can signal to people, um, that that's a person that they could get behind eventually if Joe Biden is, becomes a presumptive nominee. And more importantly, he thinks he he can push and continue to push Joe Biden and the party further to the left. He did that in 2016 with Hillary Clinton, you know, as it became very clear that she was going to be the nominee. He sat down with her and they talked about the kinds of things that she needed to add into her platform. And her platform started to look a lot more similar to Bernie Sanders. And that's something that, you know, we're probably going to see here because he, he knows that he has a lot more power than he did in 2016. And people are really looking to him in a way they weren't in 2016. Yeah. No, I, I I thought it was really notable in this speech that you know he didn't go at, he didn't do what he did after Super Tuesday, which is go after Biden on some past comments on NAFTA and Social Security and stuff like that. Sanders kept it really focused on the platform, the present day plans, and he listed off this long list of policy areas: uh, healthcare, climate, income inequality, campaign finance. You know, and, and he kept repeating over and over, Joe, what are you gonna do? <laughs> That was terrible, I know. It was pretty good. Um, what you know? What are you going to do to answer young people's concerns about uh, X, Y, and Z issues? And uh, almost in some, I mean, he was kind of laying down a, a gauntlet for Biden, but he was also laying out a roadmap basically right. for him. Right. Well, it didn't. It it even though he didn't drop out, and and the, he's given no indication that he's going to start winding down his campaign it did seem like a kind of a almost a different sanders right Mm -hmm. i've talked to a lot of young voters on the trail and whether or not they like joe biden and (laughs) (laughs) young voters don't seem to have the same rosy colored glasses on about the obama biden presidency and and administration that older voters have right especially when we talk to older black voters Mm -hmm. And they see the Obama-Biden presidency in this really wonderful way, right? That the symbolism of that was almost more important than the, the things that were done. When you talk to young voters, especially younger voters who, you know, tend to lean further left, who are probably a lot more progressive or liberal, um, they, you know, they constantly bring up the immigration and and the deportations that happened under Obama and Biden. They're not scared to hit Biden for the things he said, you know, 30, 40 years ago. They always bring up the Anita Hill hearing, which he, you know, was the committee chair for during. And so 
the relationship that young voters have with Joe Biden is not as strong as it is with older voters and black voters. And that is something that he has to he has to figure out a way to to fix that or he has to really pull out the you know the rest of those voters that we talked about um already kind of in his camp. He has to bring out a ton more of those to counteract, you know, the possible dearth of young voters in November. And and we should say that, you know, according to our colleague Holly Otterbein, there are people in Sanders' camp who really think, hey, he could turn things around in this debate that's coming up on Sunday. He could really uh, challenge Biden and, and Biden could have a, a problem in the debate. Sanders, you know, changes the direction of the the race, and then all of a sudden, it's you know t- totally different thing going forward. Who knows? But it it really just the, this line really stuck out from to me from what Sanders said. He said, "You cannot simply be satisfied by winning the votes of people who are older." And that it just really seemed to me like, "Hey, he's trying to like you know ring the warning bell, choose your metaphor." And and he kept repeating over and over, you know, "I will do everything in my power to make sure we beat President Donald Trump." And it seems like he thinks pushing. Biden to do more to connect with younger voters is maybe his way to do it. Right. And I mean, Bernie Sanders is a true believer, right? So there is... And, and he's talked about what he's done in 2016 and what he's continued to do as a movement. Not So if he doesn't get the nomination for a second time, he's not going away. And what he what he wants the Democratic Party to do is to think further ahead, right? Like the Democratic Party has not always been great about thinking toward the next 10 years, the next 20 years. And young voters are eventually not going to be young voters, right? Like, I'm not like I'm not always going to be 31. My friends aren't always going to be in their 20s. And so if the Democratic Party does not start to figure out how to change itself to, to where the young voters are or convince them to come, you know, further to the middle, then they're going to have big issues moving forward. Young voters do not love this two-party system. They have really big issues with it when you speak with them. Um, and so they don't they don't really care about burning it all down. They are they seem very fine with that. Um, they haven't seen huge changes in the way that we do democracy here in America. And I think that's something when I talk to them, you hear often is that like, this isn't working and we want to see it differently. And that's something that they continuously say. And that is the issue, the biggest issue that I think Bernie Sanders is trying to tell everyone that, you know, this could be bad for you guys in the future. Absolutely. Eugene, thank you for joining us to to talk through this. It's going to be a really interesting issue to check in on over, what, the next seven months, seven and a half? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And that, yeah, this debate is going to be really, really telling, I think. Absolutely. Thanks again, Eugene. Bye. All right. That's our show for this week. Our producer is Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Amund. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor and leave a review. It helps new listeners find the show. Once again, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again soon.